0: Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica.
1: I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And we are luckily, happily here for another episode of the last episode in our series on hard sayings from the Bible. We've spent our time, I think, all in the New Testament, right? So we've got Jesus and and Paul. Uh, And so the last episode in this series, uh, Sarah, where are we headed today?
2: So today we are looking at disputed letters of Paul. So these are letters that for a long time in church history, people thought Paul wrote primarily because a lot of them bear Paul's name. But modern biblical scholars think that meant... Probably not. These were probably um, authors, well-known religious leaders at the time who were putting Paul's names at the beginning or the end of the letter to try to give it more weight. And most likely, people who were receiving these letters knew that.
1: Can I ask, where where do uh, scholars who have that take on particular letters of Paul, where, where do they get that idea? Because uh, we don't have like original manuscripts to compare right. handwriting samples. So right. it's not like, oh Paul doesn't dot his eyes that way.
2: So it's a variety of reasons. Some of it is from the time period that they think that these letters came from. Some of these letters came after when we are pretty sure Paul died. So if they came 60 or 70 years after the rest of Paul's letters then yeah, probably not Paul. Um, some of them use different language, so if you take a look at the original Greek, um, you'll notice that if you, like, study languages, that they use different words more often, like, that's really super nitty-gritty language geek stuff, but, um, you know, variety of reasons like that, they're pretty sure not,
1: Paul. Sure, so, like, ways that particular uh, speakers or writers, if you write a lot, it's probably easier to tell over time what sounds like your characteristic style of writing. Correct. Um, And if you were reading, say, like um, uh, an Agatha Christie novel, and all of a sudden it sort of went into, like, children's poetry, you'd be like, either something really weird is happening, or you've got a different author or something Mm. like that. So, subtle differences in writing style?
2: Yeah. Um, So, it's from those things that people are pretty sure that some of these letters, such as first and second letters to Timothy um, and Titus, these are probably not written by Paul.
1: There's also, if I'm remembering correctly, a certain amount of uncertainty about, um, nobody's for sure about Hebrews. Uh, For a long time, people Mm. thought Paul because it sometimes feels like a letter, and sometimes doesn't feel at all like a letter, but some people lumped it in, even though there's no title attribution to Hebrews at the beginning. And um, there are a couple of other uh, letters like that that feel like uh, Ephesians, Colossians, uh, have a a really, in some ways, different feel, and maybe even different theological emphasis, you could say, too, right? Yep. And maybe we could say, in all this conversation, what we're going to say doesn't exactly hang on whether paul did or didn't write it we still have to wrestle with it. it's in the bible what are we going to do with it yep. um but at least one factor can to consider as we look at this is are we dealing with a later writer in the tradition of paul or maybe someone who had been um, a student of paul's or something who was claiming paul's authority or something like that um either way we'll still have to wrestle with what does it mean since it's in the bible how do we deal with it um and at the same time it could well be that we're all surprised when we get to glory it could well be paul's like yeah i i matured when i wrote you know if that's possible but the rest of our conversation doesn't exactly hang on who did or didn't write it in the end but that may give at least shed a little bit of light of like how can there be such a divergence of opinion on subjects Mm -hmm. from this letter that we're sure is paul's versus this one or this or this one yep so, alright, you've, you've told us what, what kind of stuff we're going to be talking about. Where where we want to go today, Sarah?
2: Okay, so we are looking at the first letter um, to Timothy. And it this is a section that is following immediately after one of those texts that tells women that they have no authority in the church and that they should be silent. So this is immediately after that.
0: Um, Our favorites, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> so this is in the second chapter. For... Adam was fir- was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty.
1: Wow, <laughs> I
0: love the inflections.
1: <clears throat> Thanks, and I, I I think probably not that far off the mark. Uh, just be right. <laughs> yeah. So okay uh, here here's one of the challenges we have to deal with maybe right off the bat is we have Multiple voices across the New Testament about women's role in in the, the whole of creation, but the, especially within the Jesus community as well. We spent some time a ways back, a couple of episodes ago, taking a look at them, mm-hmm. and including ones that come from the undisputed letter of you know hand of Paul, saying things like that include women's leadership, uh, naming women as apostles, naming women as leaders in house churches where the early church met, um, saying things like. There is no longer Jew or Greek, free or slave, male and female, all Mm are one in Christ. Um, And talking about uh, women who are prophetesses who are preaching and speaking in the church, as well as, for that matter, Acts and other New Testament books that give a very, not only high prominence to women, but clearly almost like an interchangeability as far as roles, that whatever men were doing, there were also women doing those Mm -hmm. things in the early church. And then you've got, huh, 1 Timothy... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, it, this might be a point to notice. Is this kind of like wrinkle that maybe was one of the first threads that biblical scholars started to ask? Like, how does the same guy end up saying such two very different things? Either you've got to have a pretty really divergent set of context, or is it possible you've got somebody else writing later on thinking, ah, this is what Paul would say, when maybe that's not what Paul would have said. In fact, in other contexts, he said something very different.
2: Yeah, because I, I find it quite amazing that I believe that Paul quite frequently in his writings says things like jesus has saved us you know through his death right and then here it's like yeah jesus did that for you men women you have to give birth mm-hmm. and also have all yeah. these other virtues um in order to be saved
0: uh-huh. that, that that's how
2: you're saved is you have to give birth
0: so i'm in trouble <laughs> yeah
2: it's it doesn't make much sense mm-hmm. to me like and i've given birth like so it's like yay I, i guess that really terrible experience saved me but really come on like didn't jesus die on a cross so that i can be saved do i really have to have to give birth to be saved no
1: so maybe, maybe I'm, I'm going to be honest here, I think it's going to be really hard for us to get down to the bottom of like, what on earth does this author mean when making this claim, but maybe we can rule out, given the broader witness of the whole New testament what some what some things are that it can't mean, or like some things that like in the in the sweep of the whole of the, the Bible, nope, this is not what so and I think you're you're pointing out one obvious one that whatever whatever the author intends by she'll be saved by childbearing. The whole of the New Testament is real clear on, nope, Jesus is the one who does the saving. That's an accomplished fact. That's a salvation done Mm. to tell us that it is is finished kind of a business. And it's not you who have Y chromosomes, yeah, you're in by Jesus. The rest of you, it's babies. Nope, that's not what's being suggested here. You're still left kind of wondering, is the she, all women, is it meant to be a reference back to Eve as a way of saying that, like, even if Adam this I mean this, this references or assumes that you know the Genesis two story and Genesis three and following. Um, is, is he saying that uh, Eve's saved in the end because she eventually gives birth to the Messiah, the Savior who does die for everybody. I've read people who make that claim that, 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 Wait,
2: that Eve? That or Mary.
1: The, no, that the she yeah. the she is Eve, and that one day, because enough descendants later on, oh. you get, but it's one of those, like, eventually a descendant comes, that that, that you'll read sometimes um, commentators who will say, you know, there's that, that curious line at the end of Genesis 3 um, that earlier commentators called the Proto-Evangelion, that one day mm. the seed of the woman would crush the seed, like, the, the, yeah, the, 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 the serpent, serpent yeah, uh, and, and the serpent mm. will strike his heel. And I've read people who will say, oh, well, what that's saying is that one day a descendant of Adam and Eve Jesus will be the one who saves all the world, and that they would make a move something like that here. Again, that could be what's being suggested. That's uh, a that's a lot of a lot of uh, ground that is being assumed there, though.
2: I I think that's less likely, though. I think that would be a nice thought. <laughs> but the second half of verse fifteen is provided they continue in faith and love and holiness ah, but modesty. Would
1: suggest women and modesty. Eve,
2: Eve is dead; like right. she can't continue in those <laughs> things anymore.
1: Right, and so you got the... the. Not only does he uh, drop the reference to Adam and Eve, but then you get the woman was deceived and then, then moves on to sort of women categorically, it seems. Yeah, you know? yeah, because
2: yeah. the she... Again, I'd have to, like, ask somebody who knows Greek to see if that she is plural, but, like, it do, does definitely become plural with they continue. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That, that, this, this does make it messy, because you, you almost get the feel that, like... In the author's train of thought, there may have been, like, the beginning of a thought, and then, like, it morphs and doesn't become consistent at all. Because, yeah, it, you're, mm-hmm. it's, it, you're, you're right. If you spend the time in First Timothy, by the end of this t- paragraph, we're talking about the plural, it seems to be talking about all women are somehow it's, saved through childbirth. It's what? either
2: all women, or it's the children of the woman. Like, she has not only has to give birth, but then has to raise them in such a way that her children continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty. Mm-hmm. Um... Or that could be the women have to continue these virtues after she's given birth. Because, you know, when you're a parent of small children, it's really hard to... Maintain
1: faith and love and modesty and holiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Like, you're just tired. and You just just want to take a nap.
1: So so one of the things that I think is additionally challenging to me about wrestling with passages and texts like this is that... I don't think we're permitted just the easy out of, well, let's just never ever wade into these books and then we won't have to deal with them. Uh, Because you also get lovely, beautiful, uh, just a few verses earlier, you get these words that may be quoted from an earlier source. There's one God, there's one meteor between God and humankind, Jesus Christ himself, human, who gave himself a ransom for all. Like, that's there's something lovely and beautiful in gospel about that. And the temptation is uh, to do what our older brother in the faith, Martin Luther, wanted to do from time to time when he found something he didn't like. Oh, well, this is, we don't like this. You know, he, he felt a lot more comfortable just saying, well, just don't read that. Um, and I feel like that's sort of an easy out, too, And maybe we have to spend the time wrestling and going side by side. There can be stuff that is either so obscure it's really hard to find what is being said or what it's saying doesn't sound like it fits with anything else in the Scripture alongside... Like these almost timeless sounding, yep, this human God-man mediator. Like, yeah, I can get behind that. That's 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 pretty standard, basic Christianity 101.
0: And how do we justify that verse that you just quoted with this one, who ends up, you know, years later, in the same chapter.
1: Right, right, right. Know?
0: Jesus that, himself, a human who gave himself a ransom for
1: all. Yeah, she will <laughs> right. That, Yeah. Right. Either the writer, like, has... Like uh, paragraph amnesia and can't remember what was just said about five verses before when, oh yeah, I did just say Jesus was the one who saved all and died for all and he's the ransom for all. Oh yeah, but women have to be saved through childbearing. So apparently
0: women aren't part of all anymore. Right. No, no, all
2: is just the men.
1: (laughs) Oh, well thank you for correcting me on that. Well, I guess as as messy as this is, I, I guess I think, to me... It's, it's comforting or reassuring or good news that this isn't all we have to go on. That, like, mm. there are yeah. these, like, real, real clear, undisputed words, uh, for example, of Paul's, who says, who, who gives witness to in the early church, like, n- no, that in the new creation, women do include, <laughs> you know, are, are part of that all. Women and men, there's no more male and female yeah. as a division, that who's good enough or acceptable, uh, no longer slave and free, no longer Jew and Gentile. And yet in a sense like when paul can say that maybe that's that's what his theology says and yet in practice for all 2,000 years of the, of the church's life we've failed to live up to that mm. vision. Mm-hmm. And it's also true we've failed to live that vision at every point. You know, We make divisions across ethnic and racial lines so the Jew-Gentile division hasn't gone away, we just found new names for it. There's that, that old line that uh, 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour in America, right? Um, and there's still the division between rich and poor and free and slave and we, we fought a war over whether <laughs> that was okay. And we're still living with the implications of mm-hmm. it. Um, and we still Aren't very good at living into that male and female. There shouldn't be this boundary of separation of who's acceptable or who uh, who has the access to to you can do this and you can't do this kind of thing. That as much as it's true to say, yep, those words of Paul's are gospel truth. We haven't acted like they were true maybe ever or at least ever completely. And Mm -hmm. again, it suggests to me that the New Testament community itself. It's not like they were some ideal community that always got it right either. They messed up at this too. So even if they would have had heard in the back of their heads those words of Paul's of there are there's no longer male and female or Jew or Greek or slave or free, we didn't live like that.
2: Yeah, this is definitely one of those spots where the humanity of the author seems to be shining through mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. That the reminder that it's not God that wrote these words, it was a person who was... hopefully, divinely inspired by God, (laughs) but that the person who was holding the pen was still a human.
1: And I think that's a really important point in that, like, classically, I mean, like, this isn't, I think, a new idea around this table. Like, classically, a Christian understanding of inspiration never was meant to mean that God dictated word for word mm-hmm. and you could translate it into another language or mm-hmm. that like uh or that the, the the authors became automatons and they left behind their personality I mean the the Bible doesn't pretend that if you take it on its own terms because you end up with Matthew Mark Luke and John telling different versions of the same mm-hmm. story you end up with the personality of Paul sometimes coming really shining through when he's beating his hobby horses or you know whatever <laughs> um and the the biblical writers, if you take them on their own terms, don't don't give us the impression that an angel's whispering to them. You can only write it this way, and yet sometimes we treat it that way. We treat it like, oh, well, because we talk about this as inspired, that means that uh, God told them exactly what word and the word order and all that kind of business. And that's tough because we don't have any of the original you know first copies to know what the original word order was, uh, for that matter, too.
0: And in in the undisputed letters of Paul, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There are those places where Paul says, you know, this I have that I have a word from Jesus. Mm-hmm. This I, I think Jesus would agree with this, but hey, this is me. Yeah, yeah. You know, and maybe you know we're just missing that. Well, you know, this is what I think.
1: <laughs> right. But I might be wrong. And <laughs> maybe one of the things that's interesting to me, and, and that that it makes makes this passage harder to deal with is that the the voice who's writing here seems to speak with such certainty when paul when he's going out on a limb will say things like i'm kind of going like here's my guess here Mm -hmm. um or sometimes we'll well at least play to paraphrase devil's advocate like when we talked about the meat sacrifice to idols he could say here's what i'm convinced of here's why i believe what i believe here's why i believe i'm right but i'm willing to not be a jerk and can accommodate Mm -hmm. this 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 and this and this writer doesn't have any room for that. Yeah. It doesn't seem to have, like, the, the any possibility of how someone could see it differently or think about it mm-hmm. differently. Um, and that's a really... It, again, it doesn't sound like the way Paul thinks or writes. Um, okay, so, practically speaking, uh, here we are, um, three pastors of congregations, uh, two of us actually are women. <laughs> <laughs> and um, living in... Um, congregations and traditions that have all fully embraced women as leaders Mm -hmm. for decades Mm. what do we do with passages like this do we just say well you read the unclear in light of the clear and you gotta say one you know trumps over the other uh do you say we just pretend this isn't here we say "How, how, how do we live with that and what does that mean for how we make sense of the bible
2: Well, the way I look at it is that there are many voices within the Bible, and there are certainly louder voices in the Bible than others, and this is one of those quiet voices for me, that, you know, this voice is maybe trying to speak loud, but it's against all of these other voices who are saying more things like... Jesus has come to save all. There are no male or female. There you know, those voices I think are louder because there are more of them whereas this one is kind of in the minority okay, and an it's an outlier and it is contrary to so much of the gospel, the good news that I know because this isn't good news to women who, you know, for circumstances didn't get married, hasn't had children. Or maybe women who want children, but who can't physically have them. So is I don't think that the God that I love and worship is one that says, no, salvation is not for you because for whatever reason you don't have children. Right. That that is not gospel to me. It's just one of those weird little parts of the Bible that someday when I die, I can go up to God and I can go, <laughs> what is this?
1: Yeah. So so there's a sense of one way to deal with this is to consider the the bible as like a chorus of voices mm-hmm. and to say where you've got the loudest or the the most sort of uh convergence of voices take that the most clearly mm-hmm. or the most weight, and then if that means that you have to set aside the outliers mm-hmm. uh, to say, I don't know what to do with this, but it seems like the louder, more clear voices are saying this, I'll go in that direction. That That's, that's my hearing? Yes, okay. that's the
2: way I'm going with it. It's one of those just weird parts of the Bible that someday in heaven I will hopefully get answers, <laughs> but for now it's just one of those, this is not gospel.
1: Can I ask too maybe, um, does Jesus as, as a... Uh, touchstone become helpful too To look at not just Who's got the majority of Bible verses on their side But what fits with the character of what we know in Jesus And it seems yeah. like left and right the, the interactions of Jesus With women are to treat them With uh, the same uh, respect and patience and grace that he does to his dunderheaded, thick headed <laughs> disciples who sometimes can't find their way out of the paper bag. And in fact, sometimes will be more astounded at the faith of women, um, and not just at their faith, but clearly entrust to them important roles. You know, that we as we've talked about before Mary Magdalene's the first one to preach an Easter Sermon, you know, is the apostle to the apostles, that Jesus witness seems to suggest this uh, this embrace of women and men in the same kinds of roles. And it's
0: not just women and in- being in leadership amongst Jesus' inner circle, or with within the larger circles of disciples, but just the care that Jesus shows for women throughout the Gospels. Sure. And we've touched on this in, in different episodes and different series about how, like when we talked about divorce a few episodes ago um, with the hard sayings of Jesus, and how you know when Jesus comes down on this idea, you, you you can't divorce your wife. It is protection for the woman. You know, so everything Jesus does and throughout his ministry is the protection of the minority.
1: Whoever was the most marginalized.
0: in the marginalized, and that was the women. And so, again, I, I totally agree with you, Sarah. Like, this is one of those kind of outlier, this is one of those one-off verses. And unfortunately, many people throughout history of the church, especially the verse right before it says, I do not permit women to, to preach and, and right. to teach in the church. You know, people have taken that. Well, that, see, it very clearly says right here in Scripture, women can't preach. That's one verse. Mm-hmm. Out of how many you know, pages and pages and pages of scripture that we see women leaders. We did a whole series on them in, right. in this podcast. You know, we, and we see Jesus lifting up women in leadership within his own ministry. So we take one verse, just because it states very clearly women can't preach or women can only be saved through childbearing, Versus the whole rest of the context of
1: Scripture? And see, this, I think, is a really important piece, too, because you're uplifting that it's it's not just a matter of who's got more Bible verses on their side or whose verse seems to be the clearest, but, like, the whole trajectory that you've reminded us of, that it's not just one instance with Jesus, but you've got examples of women's unquestioned leadership. Like, when we took a look, yeah, from Deborah, who doesn't make cakes, you know, all the way through Esther and Miriam, that there's all these figures, um, and that the the biblical texts in which they arise nobody stops and goes you're not allowed to do this because you're a woman it would suggest like an an unexpected complete and total u-turn on policy on god's part to say well for all these years yep women had this sort of leadership role and they spoke and they prophesied and they did all this maybe their stories weren't told as much or as frequently but there they are and their stories stand out um and then all of a sudden nope that's not allowed anymore that seems in some ways uh, a greater violence of the text than mm-hmm. to say, I've got this one verse, you have to do what this one verse says. And
0: some of those large chunks of women in leadership from Scripture come from the Old Testament. Right. Like, not from the new. So if, if there's going to be a reverse, you would figure it'd be from old to new. Right. Like, you know, if, if women weren't allowed to be leaders in the Old Testament, then Jesus allows them to be leaders in the new. Right. That you would expect.
1: Yeah, you, you might but expect to, a term like that, huh? But like, to
0: reverse that and say, well, they were leaders, you know, it was fine for them to be leaders here in a very patriarchal society which did not accept women leaders. Right. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, you know, says, wait, no. You were wrong
1: about that. That's not okay. Right. That seems a rather surprising term. Yes. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, as, as we wrestle with how do we make sense of or live with a scripture that has multiple voices on a single subject, one approach or one dimension to how we answer that is where is the, the heft of voices or the the... the I don't want to make it uh, a mathematical thing, like but the majority of the chorus, so mm. to speak. Um, and uh, at the same time, also using Jesus as a touchstone. And then maybe also like the whole arc or thrust of the, the whole story. That, like As you point out, it's not just that there's um, more verses versus less verses, but the, the whole thrust of the, the Hebrew scriptures includes women throughout, 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 throughout. And then additionally, you have in the life of Jesus, women have apparently uh, equal uh, roles of, of importance there. And then an unexpected turn late in the new testament that seems a little bit like burying the lead if that if that's if like the big good news isn't oh hooray good news for all the world women can no longer be in business of leadership like if that's the lead line of your new religion make that like earlier on not don't bury it in the fine print if it's going to be the, like mm. and yet here we are tucked away in, in you know essentially one or two handful of uh, passages that uh, seem to argue against other voices in the new testament and old.
0: And it just dawned on me that this is coming out of Timothy, whose mother and grandmother were commended for raising him in the... In <laughs> right, the faith. right. Like, that just dawned on me, I'm like, wait a second, that really just... Right. I'm not sure if it's the same letter, but still, like, you know, it's...
1: The, the same biblical character, Timothy, is remembered yeah. in the letters to Timothy as someone whose mother and grandmother mother. had taught him the faith.
0: Yeah, yeah and so, yeah, <laughs> they're just, between the, you know, the verse that you quoted earlier about, you know, Christ being a ransom for all, and... and you know Timothy's mother and grandmother again, being some of those women that are lifted up in, in leadership, at least to raise Timothy in his faith. Right, right. What what is up with this kind of one off verse that says, "Right, yeah, you have to bear children, you have to do all these, you know, kind, of, you have to be uh, Susie Homemaker." Right, and <laughs> right. Yeah, I I, think- See, I
2: this this verse always made me wonder. So if you're safe through childbearing, you have a kid, and then you sin again. Do you have
1: to have a <laughs> another child <kid? laughs> be saved?
2: Huh. Like, is it like a continual thing of like? Oh, so you mean
0: the Duggars? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: This, I think this is one of the uh, verses that the Quiverful movement that the Duggars are part of mm-hmm. actually do lift up. Probably. Um,
1: and, yeah. and I think it's important maybe to note that the early church, and I think this is a pretty important notion that like is across the whole New Testament. I don't think it hangs just on Timothy here, but. Um, that the early church really became a community that was no longer dependent on making more biological children. You know, like, you know, ethnic Israel, occasionally gets the command to be fruitful and multiply in a sense because like you're a, an ethnic group that in exile, you, we need to keep having more children to continue this mm-hmm. you know this line along. And part of the radical thing of the New Testament community was creating this new kind of way of living together that wasn't dependent on we have to make more children. Yeah. And I, again, I think there have been times in Christian history where we've assumed, that, no, the church has to grow by having more babies and that's how we'll get churches. And like, seriously, you, you hear that uh-huh. from time to time. And like, no, that's not the way the church... Ever Ever intended that Jesus has created this new community that grew members by you know by baptism by you know reaching out and sharing our faith and people come to faith not just oh we'll make more babies that's how the church will grow that's lazy that's honestly I mean like at least for the men that's really lazy the women who have to do the birthing but for them that's a really lazy posture that's I don't have to do it at all <laughs> my wife will just birth out more Christians and if
0: that's the case there you know if you sin after you have your your, your child then you have to have another child what happens to those women. That are post-childbearing age and have had children, and they keep, keep sitting. sitting. They keep sitting. I mean, like they—they you know, they have to so they just need keep. they to become keep... another Sarah and have a child at eighty. Exactly. Years old? Like... Yeah, they
2: just have to keep praying that, like Sarah and Elizabeth and Hannah, <laughs> that they will have children in an impossible situations. I don't know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I,
1: I think it's significant too that, like, one of the early stories the, in, in the Book of Acts that the church wrestles with is the story of the uh, Ethiopian eunuch that Paul uh-huh. that um, f- uh, Philip runs across. And that among the reasons when he asked the question to uh, to Philip here 's water for baptizing what 's to prevent me from being baptized? One of the like rules that could have come to his mind well oh, i 'm sorry the, the, the scriptures the, 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 the rules in the Old Testament say anybody who 's got the inability to procreate, not allowed to be a part of the assembly of the people of God, mm-hmm. and Philip like nothing separates you, nothing prevents you from being baptized the early church really like lived into the people who aren't going to have 2.5 kids in the white picket fence life, you're included as well. Um, and that's a pretty radical thing, um, and that the early church is willing to stake its identity on, we're not a community that just has to birth more human beings to continue. We reach out in the name of Jesus and more disciples are gathered, they're baptized, they aren't born. Um, and that also means that there's inclusion for people who will never have the 2.5 white picket fence, you know, life. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that the christian vision of the good life doesn't necessarily mean you have to have kids to fully partake of what life looks like it may include children uh it may not and that our the way our lives look together are different um that our families are going to look different and the early church seems to have been okay with that they, they had to wrestle with okay are we going there because this is going to be a challenge for us that's going to be a whole new way of living together in community but they made that move um and in, in some ways we've been trying to live out in whatever context we're in that the, that the church is going to be a different kind of community. But sometimes sliding back into that, we need to have more children to keep the church going. We need to have more children, that kind of thing. So, bottom line, it sounds like we don't have really good answers for how do we explain this. Maybe we've ruled out some, like, well, whatever it means, the whole Bible doesn't allow it to mean that you're, that, uh, you're saved by um, having babies, or the rest of the, if, if that's what it's trying to mean, the rest of the Bible won't go there. Mm-hmm. Um, a- any other final thoughts on how we live with this?
0: Good luck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And to borrow an earlier line of advice in a previous episode, don't (laughs) be a jerk. That's good advice every time. Well, thanks for joining us. I hope that at least in these past weeks, as we've taken a look at hard sayings, that there may be some that have been um, light shed maybe, some places where you're left discovering it's okay to be scratching your head at the end of a conversation, and at least that you know it's safe and okay to wrestle with passages in the Bible like Jacob with the angel. So talk to you next time. See
2: you guys. Bye.